Aging is the biggest risk factor for virtually all chronic diseases. Like we need to get that because that is such a motivating factor. Lung cancer, the first thing you think of is smoking. Mm -mm. Aging is a far, far stronger risk factor. Uh, so, and, and as I said earlier, the patterns that, that are changing as we age look like these diseases. So if you look at the epigenetic expression of cancer, it looks like the pattern in aging. It's, it's like aging makes us vulnerable to developing cancer, to developing diabetes, developing heart disease, et cetera. So if we could slow biological aging by a, even a year, there was a paper out of, of, of uh, David Sinclair and his colleagues looking at the, the savings, the cost savings, trillions of dollars. So one, so, so if we can slow down bioage, by extension, we're improving health span um, and we're reducing the cost of care. I mean, the statistics are really kind of overwhelming. In our 60s, in our very early 60s, most of us have two chronic diseases. Most of us are on medication. I mean, and the trajectory, one disease begets another disease, begets another disease. So once we get into that slippery slope, uh, it can be easy to just really move into huge, huge, huge problems. But we can turn it around. I mean, that's the that's the promise of this. What if I told you you could reverse your biological age, effectively bringing your body and cellular health into a younger state? Would you believe me if I told you that this could be achieved with simple measures such as nutrition and lifestyle? We are excited to be joined today by Dr. Kara Fitzgerald for a conversation all things about her groundbreaking research on reversing biological aging using diet and lifestyle showcased in her latest book, Younger You. Dr. Fitzgerald is the lead author and editor of Case Studies in Integrative and Functional Medicine and is a contributing author to Laboratory Evaluations for Integrative and Functional Medicine and the Institute for Functional Medicine's Textbook for Functional Medicine. With the HealthGot Research Institute, Dr. Fitzgerald is also actively engaged in clinical research on the DNA methylome using a diet and lifestyle intervention developed in her practice. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health. This is a podcast that is dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. I can definitely say that this conversation with Dr. Kara was really amazing because it really transformed my consciousness around what it means to grow older and knowing that chronological age does not always mean biological age. If you want to know how you can eat and live to reverse your biological age, this is a conversation you don't want to miss. Thank you, Dr. Fitzgerald, for coming on today. It's such an honor to have you. Oh, it, it is so great to be with you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So Dr. Fitzgerald, as we were just talking offline, is the author of this amazing book that I really love and have read a couple times now, Younger You, uh, Reduce Your Bio-Age and Live Longer and Better. So Dr. Fitzgerald, what was the inspiration for your latest book? So the, so the inspiration from this book actually started, I want to say around 2013. I mean, it goes back quite a while um, when I first started to read the literature on epigenetics. And it ended up influencing our practice. It's kind of crazy because it's changed the trajectory of my career now. But so, you know, the papers were coming out, they were coming across my desk and, and so forth. And, you know, back then, and, and really still today, probably the bulk of the research is looking at cancer. And so the, it, it, in the tumor microenvironment, um, very efficiently, the, the, the tumor takes over our um, epigenetic machinery for its own survival and growth and, and, and propagation, et cetera. And so just to define epigenetics, epi above genetics, the genome. So this is all of the biochemical processes that are occurring that influence what genes are on and what genes are off. So tons of science coming out showing that, you know, epigenetics is just taken over in the tumor microenvironment. And one of the most important ways we regulate gene expression is through something called DNA methylation. A methyl group is just a carbon and three hydrogens. We use methyl groups in the body in every cell all of the time. Like methylation is, think about it like 
sort of like breathing. You know, if you're not doing it, you're not living. So it's happening everywhere. And it's one of the very important tools we use to turn genes on and off. When there are a lot of methyl groups on a gene, that gene is inhibited. When there are a few, that gene is allowed to be on. So here I am reading the literature and methylation is, you know, taken over with cancer. And um, for me as a functional medicine doctor, I mean, I know you know this as, as a functional medicine physician, we think about the literature and how we can translate it into clinical practice. There's always a question in our minds could I be, could I be, how, how could I, are my interventions influencing my patients in a way that may, you know, negatively uh, influence epigenetics or positively influence epigenetics? So anyway, way back yeah. in the day, I started to think about this as these papers were coming across my desk. And it, honestly, back then it felt, it was almost a rabbit hole that I was, believe it or not, I know I'm such a geek, but I was somewhat resistant to diving into. And, and probably because maybe I, I had some sort of a, psychic foreshadowing that it was going to change my career. But I, I just, I realized it was too important and that I needed to embrace it. And so by 2016, my nutrition director, Romilly Hodges and I had created what we called the methylation diet and lifestyle. So in fact, we decided that epigenetics was an incredibly important thing to be considered in the functional medicine space and that we were going to take a stab at actually creating a diet and lifestyle based in the literature. So based in the literature and, you know, not everything at that time was human studies, and we're still building our human database. But um, we ended up creating something that we started to use in practice regularly. In fact, I started. I I, I taught on it at IFM. I, I I lectured in Ireland, and you know, in Australia and uh, uh, South Africa. So this this content in the functional medicine world was interesting. But the question was always are we changing epigenetic expression? Are we actually doing what we're hypothesizing we're doing in our book? What are we doing? We could see that our patients responded to it. We could see changes in biomarkers that suggested, yes, like we were dropping homocysteine, people felt better, et cetera, lost weight, whatever they needed to do, antibody markers dropped, et cetera. So we knew that we, we were onto something beneficial, but were we actually changing epigenetics? At that time, you couldn't... Uh, just send somebody to Quest. I mean, you still can't order an epigenetic panel. You know, really, it, there, it, there, there's a few hoops one needs to jump through. But at that time, it was even less available. We were blessed with an unrestricted grant from um, Brent Eck, the CEO of, of Metagenics. So he supported this vision, supported us studying it, and we were able to hire a clinical research center actually at my alma mater, um, Health Got Research Institute at National University of Natural Medicine uh, to conduct a randomized uh, double-blind co control trial, not double-blind, but a randomized control trial. And um, we start, we embarked in that in 2018. At that time, no studies had demonstrated bioage reversal. Um, but we, so we were, we knew we would look at it and we'll, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, but um, and, that be, and, and the study, actually, I know we're going to discuss the study in the book, but it was really pretty, pretty life-changing for all of us, the findings, the, fi the power that diet and lifestyle influenced gene expression um, was mind-boggling. But that's a very long in introduction as to um, you know, how, how I got to where I am. And ultimately, the study led to a book deal, and this is Younger You. Awesome. Thank you, Kara. Um, let's go into the study, but before we do that, I think the prelude question, of course, is um, is something I had just um, on my way, and I was listening to your your podcast with the uh, with the Yale professor, the you know talking about the the clocks and everything. Uh, I forget her name, Doctor um, Morgan. Levine. Thank you, thank you, uh, Doctor Levine. Yeah. So the the bottom line is there's real difference between, or there could be a big difference between what's called biological age and chronological age. We all know that there's this chronological age, and you know we celebrate birthdays and we, we talk about in our you know when, when you go to the the doctor's office let's say you know you got to put in your age right and things but then there's something called the biological age as well because if you could just kind of outline real quick some of the basics of you know what is chronological versus biological age and then we can I, I'd love to go into your study at that point yeah absolutely so chronological age is the number of birthdays we've celebrated we can't change that um, we can lie about it but it's not gonna it's not gonna change Biological age is actually the rate our body is aging. 
So how fast are those changes that are predictably associated with aging happening? Are they in step with our chronological age? Are they happening faster than our chronological age? Or are they, are they happening slower? Um, going back to DNA methylation and epigenetics, the way that we measure the rate of aging is by looking at you know, DNA methylation, is looking at patterns of gene expression. So that um, brought us, you know, that's what brought us here to uh, looking at biological age. So in your book, you go into the detail about, about your study. I believe it was in middle-aged men, uh, and there was mm -hmm. a control group, and, and I wanted to ask you later about, about other studies, but and then there was an intervention group, and that two-month program, it sounded like, reversed the biological age of the participants by over three years, which is really amazing. Yep. The first study, like you said, that showed reduction and a reversal of bio-age. Bio um, so uh, how did you recruit people for that? Um, what, what kind of interventions were in that uh, study, you know, where they kind of reversed their age by three years? Yeah, compared to the control compared to group control. by, by 3. Right. 3. I, two, I know it was about two, two years. years. Yeah, it was, it was about two years within the group. Within, within group. the group. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, so again, just going back to 2013 through 2016, when we published our Methylation Diet and Lifestyle ebook, sort of our early iteration of this, in the literature, um, methylation becomes basically, to use a scientific term, really wonky as we age. <laughs> there less methylation is happening in the DNA and imbalanced patterns of methylation are happening. So we're turning, again, going back to can't can the cancer changes actually look a little bit like the aging changes. Um, genes are getting turned on that we don't want on, pro-inflammatory genes. Good guy genes that protect us are getting turned off in the aging journey. The aging journey, when you look at gene expression, doesn't just look like cancer. It looks like heart disease and diabetes. I mean, it's really kind of crazy. And so we, we began to train our vision on if we can actually make a difference in the epigenome with, with the age, what's happening age, you know, with the aging phenomena, we may be able to, by extension, really influence chronic diseases because there's such similar patterns. And so we just scoured the literature for evidence. Clearly, we needed a very methyl donor-rich diet. So we have to keep that methylation cycle happening. We have to keep methylation happening. So our diet is very heavy in things like folate, B12, betaine, choline, et cetera, nutrients that help methylation happen. Um, and what does this look like it, translating it to food? Lots of greens, um, eggs. If you, if you eat eggs, if you're willing to dive in and do some liver, um, wild mushroom, things like shiitake, inaki, um, maitake, et cetera, have lots of folate and choline. So there's a whole bunch of nutrients and we can just pack them into the diet. Uh, and then there's this class of nutrients that extraordinarily appear to have an ability to sort of determine where methylation happens on the epigenome so that you're turning on good guy genes, you're turning off bad guy genes. And this class of nutrients we already know and we already love for a variety of reasons. There are phytochemicals or polyphenols, things like green tea, which has, you know, millennia use history across, across um, countries, uh, curcumin in turmeric, um, luteolin or resveratrol in, in red grapes, um, Quercetin is a, is a compound we know and love. So all of these, these rich, beautiful compounds that are found primarily in colorful fruits and vegetables, but also elsewhere, again, mushrooms have some of these, these epinutrients, um, are also as important. So we want our fork packed with methylation-rich foods, and we also want it packed with these traffic directors, what we call methylation adaptogens. And I, and I want to throw out there, too, likely as important as what we're eating, sleep. Sleep plays a huge role in what's happening with DNA methylation, as does exercise. And you know how well we're managing our stress, all of these things. So even though they're not directly methyl donors in you know, making methyl groups, et cetera, they're certainly influencing how our body is, is doing it. And so let me stop there. So the diet, was the diet and lifestyle program was designed to just optimized DNA methylation very intentionally. Kara, I'll go back to the diet for a second, but on the exercise, sleep, and stress management pieces, is there any evidence in the literature individually or, or you know, either in basic or, or human studies that those components, um, you know, influence either, I guess, DNA methylation 
amount or activity and then like where where things are getting methylated or demethylated yes yeah that's awesome it's such a cool it is so interesting i mean there was a paper not too long ago and i and i mention it in the book that um you know they hypothesize that the that exercise its fundamental mechanism of action is through epigenetics and it's it's fascinating so all of the benefits you know the root cause benefit of exercise starts at its influence in the epigenome that these these scientists posited and 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 they and they provided a nice trail of evidence for it this is so this is so great yeah let me let me just say one other thing because I think it's so cool. Exercise acts like green vegetables. So if you're not going to down that, you know, <laughs> plate of um, kale, <laughs> you need to get outside. It really does. When you look at what's happening epigenetically, it's it's allowing us to turn good genes on and turn off bad genes in, in this extraordinary way. And let me say one more thing about exercise. I'm clearly a big fan of it. Some of the changes that happen with continued exercise if we're pe- if we're preconception we can hand down some of those be- beneficial changes so it, there's a heritable component to exercise and as you said in the book really there's there's a, a i guess transgenerational component to methylation with, you know, with conception yes. and then of course as as kind of people have their de- descendants and you know everything it sounds yes. like there's a huge role there Yes, yes, beneficial or not. I mean, I think too much research thus far has been in sort of negative heritability or transgenerational um, uh, 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 activity. But I think the more that we look at it, we'll see resilience patterns. I mean, the sky is the limit, and this research is just going to keep happening and happening. And and I love what what uh, what you know everyone, including yourself, lectures on at the IFM about your genes are not your destiny, right? Because there is so much focus on the negative. Like, you know how people say, yeah. you know, might see a patient in the clinic. It's like, oh, my, my grandmother had diabetes. My mother had diabetes. You know, I'm going to get diabetes, that kind of thing. So there's yes. that patterns of resilience that it sounds like can really be influenced by the DNA methylome. Yes. Yes, big time. I mean, we're driving the car. You know, I think you know, when we mapped out the human genome, so when the, when scientists kind of cracked that nut back in the early 2000s, the idea was that um, genes were, in fact, our destiny. Uh, but we realized pretty quickly that they weren't. So the human genome was mapped out and, you know, the one g- gene, one disease uh, expectation or a couple of genes, you know, causing a disease was, um, you know, just fell apart. That whole uh, hypothesis that we were that we were just raised on that was embedded in our training, it really fell apart. And that made way for the era of epigenetics. And that is how we, how our daily choices, how we're living our lives influenced which genes are on and off. And yes, today, just with regard to longevity, maybe 10% of genes, you know, influence our, our course choice is up to us. I mean, we're sitting in the driver's seat. So for some of us, we're going to be uh, taking this on as a challenge, as something really inspirational, as something very empowering. Um, and then some of us are going to, you know, be overwhelmed with this and, and need to be sort of supported into uh, the recognition of how much responsibility, you know, they really need to take for their health. So there's a lot of sub questions that have been generated by just a few, few minutes here, but I'll get to this in a minute. I want to talk about real quick something I I saw from one of uh, Dr. David Brady's posts uh, just just today. He was actually talking about. Uh, he was, I think, trying to, um, uh, you know, get get some uh, funny reactions too. But um, of course, <laughs> <laughs> um, he was saying that that you know, two of my favorite foods, banana and avocado, have polyphenol oxidases. And so this idea of, you know, I, and I love berries and tea as well. So he was basically saying, don't eat you know, polyphenol-rich foods with foods that have polyphenol oxidases. I don't know if you've run across that, but I'm not I'm not sure. It was like, ah, oh, darn, I can't have my uh, avocado <laughs> chocolate pudding anymore or something, you know. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Well, um, no, I have not run across any, any reason to be concerned. In fact, um, there's such 
extraordinary in interaction between food combinations and how they influence not just our microbiome, but then the compounds our microbiome pr produce and then, you know, our absorption and then their action internally and on, epi you know, on gene expression. Um, I, I just, I, it's myopic to isolate an enzyme, you know, in a compound it could act on and make, you know, far reaching uh, clinical determination of you know yeah. food combination. Although I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be some really crazy food combination. And of course, in our clinic, you know, we love Dr. Brady. We love his tests and everything yeah. and yeah, all of that. So <laughs> just a shout out there. But um, you know, I'm wondering about the study, the the one that the the pioneering study there. Um, do people did people have to be? Um, this is something I think listeners would be interested in because I know this is something personally I've struggled with too. It's like you know you're kind of juggling these five balls of you know sleep, stress management, of course nutrition, exercise, um, et cetera, trying to methylate better, trying to methylate more efficiently at the sites that we want to methylate at. Does someone have to mm -hmm. be perfect to achieve these, these results of bioage? Yeah. That's a great question. That's actually a really good question. Two cool things about our study that are worth commenting on is we had very high rates of adherence. Um, we had our nutrition, our nutrition team, uh, connected with the participants at, at, at least weekly for the first month and then as needed after that. So that was built into the study. Um, they didn't get to cheerlead them, you know, and do sort of motivational coaching as we do in our practice. They had a very dry IRB approved script. Do you have any questions? Did you do, 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 but, but even with that contact, our adherence rates were high. However, to your point, adherence wasn't perfect. I mean, we had participants who said, no, I'm not giving up my beer. You know, this was the eight weeks is, is, is no alcohol. And not everybody was perfect about that. I'm glad that they actually shared so we know. Uh, and we have nice adherence data that we, that we should write up and publish on at some point. Um, some people continued with their carbohydrates. There's no way that I can, or their grains, you know, and it, and it is an eight-week grain-free program. Uh, so they didn't. They didn't do it perfectly. And yet we still uh, made a difference. You know, we, we still achieved statistical significance in our in our population. Um, so there is some, there is some allowance for, you know, being human within yeah. this, at least that's what our data suggests. And, and I love the positive focus in the book to uh, younger you on, on how um, things you can do to improve nutrition and what you can eat. You know how it's always like, yes. you, you know what I mean? Like, yes. oh, can eat, yes. can eat, you know, so, oh, but we can eat, you know, this, these other foods that are really good for you. So I, I love that. And the recipes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, are, are there well, any and let me, favorites? Let yeah. me just speak to, let me speak to that for a second yeah. and then we can talk about my favorites. But um, so there's, so there is the program that our, that our participants followed in the study and it is pretty rigorous. So one can do that, especially if they want the promise of what our findings were. However, if you flip to the appendix, it's my, the, the epinutrient appendix on page 407 is one of my favorite parts of the book. 30 pages of nutrients that have some evidence for influencing gene expression favorably. And that, it's 30 pages. People who are anxious about starting a program, who are anxious of any of the restrictions, any, anybody who's triggered by any dietary pattern can go into our appendix with a highlighter and at least a dozen foods they're already eating. So they can look and see what they're doing right now. And then they can also look and say, oh, I'll eat this or I'll eat this. In my mind, there's no reason why every forkful can't be packed with these important epinutrients in a, in a way that's doable um, for, that, for that individual. I mean, we're a clinic. We're a functional medicine clinic. We're, we're prescribing this program all of the time in practice and we're making we're meeting the person where they're at so we do all sorts of modifications and i invite people to do it so that it works for them it's like there's that proverb i think it's like the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step or you know something like that so that's always yeah. where you know people yes. start where they are and uh but but yes i i would love to hear you know Kara's favorites, uh, favorite foods, uh, favorite DNA methylation foods, or, you know, foods that would, uh, I guess, affect methylation. <laughs> I'll show you actually what I have for lunch. Nice. What I've got for lunch today. Go. I had to rush out of the awesome. house. I had a, a this is a massive container of broccoli rabe. In this the glass, really so, you, so it won't get in, in the glass. Very nice, very nice. Do you, do you put some yeah, olive oil got, or something on it? Or Yes, I have olive oil on it. It's 
packed with garlic. So two things that I'll do when I eat this, I'll add, I'll actually add a smidge of a high phenolic olive oil that I have here in the office just as a finishing oil. And I will add some rosemary. So I've got a rosemary grinder. Here's the two things that go on. Most of my foods, I just have a mandy. My co-author made me magic salt. This is epigenetic salt. It's got um, <laughs> rosemary, garlic, oregano, and sage. So that's I'll sprinkle awesome. some of this kosher. Isn't that cool? Yeah, she made so this cool. for me and sent it. And my mom found a rosemary grinder for me. I've never seen that before. I always just sprinkle the rosemary. I love the grinder. That's a great idea. Yeah. So it just kind of does a coarse grind. And, and I'll put that on, uh, you know, any savory food yeah. that I bring into the yeah. office. I'll throw a little that's extra rosemary on, on there. That's great to put on any food. Um, what about protein? Where does protein fit? And I, I know you said, I think nine ounces yeah. of protein maybe, but what, where do you, where do you see protein? And, you know, I'm also curious about, you know, I'm sure we have people out there listening that are somewhere on a, a vegan diet, some are on vegetarian, some are Mediterranean, of course, some are on keto and paleo or even mm-hmm. carnivore, you know, there's some people that are doing that. So love to hear your thoughts about what the research shows on these, on these types of plans and how that fits into the younger you program. So far, the research, um, there is, there's definitely evidence out there that what you eat matters um, to gene expression and biological age. So there's definitely an accumulating body of information that suggests it's important. So I talked about the new age study in, in my book that was looking at a Mediterranean dietary pattern and biological age reversal. And it did show favorite, fav, uh, favorable changes to gene expression um, and to biological age in a subpopulation. None of the studies out currently show as profound change as, as we were able to demonstrate in ours. So, and again, I just have to underscore that ours was very much designed to influence gene expression and DNA methylation in particular. So the whole program is designed to, towards that. So we haven't seen anything yet. Also, our program is multivariable. You know, we have exercise, diet, meditation, et cetera. Um, but there is accumulating evidence. So caloric restriction so shows favorable changes to DNA methylation. That slowed down a third generation clock called the pace of aging. Um, what else have we um, seen can I in the literature? With that, with yeah. CR, um, yeah. what what kind of intervals are, are, are we doing? Are, are you looking at in that study? Is it sixteen eight or is it something longer? For it was for... actually it was actually it was actually caloric restriction. And oh, I, and, oh, I you see. know there was an actual true. drop in in overall percentage. Okay. Um, okay. And for quite for quite a while, uh, but it did slow um, the pace of aging, which is the which is a a, th- a new generation clock. Um, significantly. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, so evidence is, is definitely accumulating that, that what you eat makes a difference. There is no study to my knowledge on the carnivore diet. I don't think that there is other than ours. Ours is pretty, is, is paleo leaning for sure. Um, and we showed what we showed. I don't know that there's any other research out there. So there's lots of room for these these things, these diet, dietary patterns to be explored and how they influence gene expression. I'm sure that they are, and it'll be interesting. I mean, you know, people who adopt these austere diets, like a carnivore plan, some of them, you know, you can clear diabetes in a hot minute using this, but, but there's going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's a U curve. You're going to, you're going to be doing fabulous for a while. And then eventually, you know, your microbiome Microbiome is 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 going to get affected damaged and Yeah, and that will influence us systemically. So my vision, if somebody wanted to actually study carnivore um, or some of those radical plans, is um, probably great initially, and then you know you 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 would eventually see some negative changes. You, you got to get that, that, would... that short chain fatty acids keep keep those up, and I, I think this is this is often at least we see that affected sometimes when there's there's not a focus on, on things that nourish the microbiome, you know? Well, and all of these, you know, the epinutrients in the book, definitely there's, there's animal-based epinutrients, but you know, the lion's share of them come from plants. Yeah. 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 That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, just for the listeners too, more generally, what are the benefits for us when we become biologically younger? Why is this so important? And, and I think just to your point of, you know, how aging actually affects all diseases and, and, you know, conversely can affect health. Yes. Yes. I mean, aging is the biggest risk factor for virtually all chronic diseases. Like we need to get that because that is such a motivating factor. Lung cancer, the first thing you think of is smoking. 
Mm -mm. Aging is a far, far stronger risk factor. Hmm. Uh, so, and, and as I said earlier, the patterns that, that are changing as we age look like these diseases. So if you look at the epigenetic expression of cancer, it looks like the pattern in aging. It's, it's like aging makes us vulnerable to developing cancer, to developing diabetes, developing heart disease, et cetera. So if we could slow biological aging by a, even a year, there was a paper out of, of, of uh, David Sinclair and his colleagues looking at the, the savings, the cost savings, trillions of dollars. So one, so, so if we can slow down bioage, by extension, we're improving health span um, and we're reducing the cost of care. I mean, the statistics are really kind of overwhelming. In our 60s, in our very early 60s, most of us have two chronic diseases. Most of us are on medication. I mean, and the trajectory, one disease begets another disease, begets another disease. So once we get into that slippery slope, uh, it can be easy to just really move into huge, huge, huge problems. But we can turn it around. I mean, that's the that's the promise of this. Uh, it would be great if Medicare eventually would pay for, you know, biological aging clock measurements. Uh, I don't I don't know if they're there yeah. yet, but I, I certainly think it'd be no. amazing. Yes, they would have to. Yes, and it would be incredible if the NIH, you know, in your neighborhood, yeah, started to study it instead of siloing all of our research investigations and giving them billion, you know, all of, you know, the everything National is siloed. Institutes of cancer mm -hmm. and out, everything is, is totally siloed and billions of dollars are poured into these investigations. If we unified and actually, and, and looked at biological age, actually considered biological age as a disease, if you will, um, we would, by extension, be addressing all of these other areas. Are there a lot of functional medicine uh, researchers at the NIH? Uh, I don't know if there are, but I would love... Maybe. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Maybe seven. <laughs> yeah. It's probably generous. The National it would, yeah, it would be amazing. The National Institute of Functional Medicine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, longevity science, be because we've got these bioage clocks, that was such a revolutionary achievement, you know, originally uh, created by Steve Horvath and, and other um, postdocs in his laboratory. But uh, it's just changing the whole research landscape. Longe you know, longevity science or biogerontology, as, as some scientists call it, is hot. And there are so, so, so many dollars going into it. And not just in the U.S., but in other countries. Like I read Saudi Arabia is investing a billion dollars a year in looking at um, longevity. And of course, Altos Lab, rumored to be started by Bezos um, and others who, and Altos Lab is is focused on this solely, and there's Altos outposts here in San Diego and in you know at, at by University of Cambridge in the UK in Asia, um, and they've recruited all all of the best scientists. So Horvath, the inventor of the of, of the first clock, um, Morgan Levine, who you mentioned earlier, left Yale to go to Altos. Uh, so massive, massive amounts of dollars are going into looking at. Uh, slowing or reversing biological age, massive investments. Kara, in terms of, and this is a bit of a controversial question here or opinion question is, um, what is your opinion on, on you know, would reversing bioage lead to an increased lifespan? Yes, I definitely, I, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I do. I, but let me just say, I mean, you, obviously, if you're going to increase lifespan, I mean, we've increased lifespan, you know, over the last 200 years in our country, um, but you know it's it's not pretty at the end of life. So yeah. one may continue to have a pulse, but they're propped up on drugs, etc. So an increased lifespan has to be accompanied by increased health span. Yes, um, agree. The promise of I think younger you and 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 you know thinking about diet and lifestyle isn't a life to 120, but it's a lifespan that walks with health span and ideally you know, death is a simple, gentle, um, less painful process. So it's the compression of morbidity as James Freeze. Nice. Or, I, yeah. I love that. And it's, it's healthy aging, right? Because, you know, yes. we're all mortal and, you know, this is part of the natural cycle and everything. And I think it's, it's always good to just remember that it's really about, um, 
quality of life too you know how yes. how, how we 100%. talk about you know enjoy our moments and you know live our our best lives and things like that mm-hmm. um so thank you um what what do you what do you think about the future of, of research with with younger you in terms of are there any um studies out there on say like women or different age groups different yes groups? thanks for asking yay, yay. yes Yes. So we're writing up a, a we're just going to do a case series right now. We've got we do have, as a side note, IRB approval to continue to study and we'll continue to do that in our app. Um, but we have a cohort of of six women, our first cohort of six women who finished doing the program uh, and they did great. And so we're going to publish them as a case series. So they're outside of of IRB. And so we can't publish it as a as a research study, but we can publish it as a case series, a case report, and um, we'll get that out as soon as possible. So we wanted to absolutely look at women. Um, the only reason that we didn't, in case some listeners are wondering, because that was a top question that I was asked, um, is that it was a pilot study. We were looking at middle-aged men, so f- between 50 and 72. If we had included women into those small numbers, um, between 50 and 72, women are premenopausal, perimenopausal, and postmenopausal. And the influence of hormones on outcome, wouldn't we wouldn't have been able to tease it out. It would have been just, just really too small. So um, we'll continue to look at women and we'll just look at broader populations. We'll look at different populations. Um, you know, going forward within the structure of our app. Thank you. And that, that gives me an excuse to touch on another rabbit hole. I do have a pair of rabbits at home, by the way, but, uh, so do I do, you? I do like <laughs> rabbit holes. Yes. Yes. That's so funny. Yeah. So, um, so we can talk about uh, women and the sort of changes in their, in, in the life's, uh, sort of like life changes. Um, what is your thought on, on hormone balance, um, especially during those transitions in, in, in women's lives? Um, or, or men's lives too, um, about hormones and how that affects the health of DNA methylation? Well, unfortunately, we know that when estrogen tanks, women age biologically. And we can see it, right? We know that, you know, heart disease numbers increase, et cetera. We know all of, you know, the negative fallout of when we hit menopause. Um, it is a pro-aging phenomena, menopause. Okay. Uh, and that has been, you know, that's been published on actually Morgan Levine okay. uh, wrote on that. So my, I mean, do all of us need HRT? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. That, <laughs> yeah. Do we all need HRT? I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, I don't think that the evidence suggests that we need to, but we probably, for those of us who are into uh, paying attention to biological age and slowing it, I think H- HRT is a worthy consideration. You need to, you know, you obviously have to look at risks and um, you want to track bioage and see what, see what your response is. Um, I just, you know, my little N of one, I just like off the top of my head, I'm, I'm thinking of my mom at 80, who's just so healthy and active and, you know, never, um, never used HRT. There's plenty of, of women who just don't require it to keep a nice uh, bio age and stay healthy for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of us, it's an absolutely important consideration. And it may come back to lifestyle too. Anecdotally, what I've seen is a lot of people that have sort of more stressful lifestyles, they'll have that DHEA being lower. And we know that that could influence, you know, biological age as well. So, and then when they, when they change their lifestyle, sometimes, you know, they might do some meditation, they might kind of quit the job they don't like, or, you know, something like that. And then their DHEA actually starts going up without, without herbals, without supplementation sometimes. So it's kind of interesting. Absolutely. Interesting. hundred percent. Well, stress is such a potent driver of aging. I mean, it's such a potent driver of aging. So yeah, if you make those sweeping changes you just outlined, of course, you know, of course we're going to see changes. Now, there's some supplements in the studies that you've um, that you've done. Um, why, though, I think you mentioned this, why are whole foods better than supplements or processed foods as a form of, of nutrition, especially with, with methylation? I think I really want to touch on something I had emailed you about one time, this comment on non-dietary supplemental methyl donors long-term and how some studies, I think you published in your paper, actually, some of the other papers that were done on say, uh, supplemental B12 or folic acid, if it was long-term, I think there was some statistical significance for increasing the OR for cancer. Yeah, that's right. Um, Love yeah, and that was our, that was our, well, so our entry, again, going back to 2013, 14, 15, our entry into thinking about epigenetics was through the lens of cancer, and cancer shuts down efficiently 
uh, a class of genes called tumor suppressor genes. And these are incredibly important. We have many, 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 many of them. And tumor suppressor genes do exactly what their name suggests. They suppress tumors. They suppress cancer. Cancer and aging, by the way, uh, hypermethylate and in inhibit the expression of these tumor suppressor genes. So they're, they're just, we, we don't want hypermethylation where, where it shouldn't be happening. We do not want to be turning off genes. We shouldn't be turning off. So the question is, uh, if we're giving our patients very high dose folate, very high dose B12, could we be influencing tumor suppression inhibition? Could we be doing harm to our patients? And my read on the literature suggests that uh, yes, we, we may, it, there may be times when high dose supplemental isolated folates and B12 could be negative. And I want to say, especially we're talking about folate here, there's less solid research on B12. Um, so probably, and, and this is still being teased out, if there's a precancerous, a yet to be identified precancerous mm-hmm. process like a happening. Like polyp or something, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Some level of tumor gene, uh, tumor suppressor gene inhibition is probably happening in that uh, individual. Mm-hmm. So in that precancerous or active cancer, or even you know post treatment, um, we want to be careful. You know, we want to be careful. However, methylation is essential, so we have to be methylating healthy. Uh, regardless, you know, whether we have cancer or we're at risk for cancer or not, we need to be pouring methyl donors into our bodies. We just want to be mindful about how we're doing it. There is no evidence in the literature that methyl donors, you know, folate, B12, uh, choline, betaine, et cetera, et cetera, from foods is negative at all. And most of the studies demonstrate, uh, you know, healthful outcome with food-based methyl donors. So my practice here in the clinic and I, and my suggestion in the, in the book is that you do a food forward approach and then if you need to use supplemental methyl donors do it by all means but just be mindful you know plenty of people have come to me over the years taking massive amounts of self-prescribed supplements the era of epigenetics and our ability to see it shows the power of these supplements and I think should give all of us pause yeah, kind of, kind of getting even more personalized than, than we have been even in, in functional medicine, yes. I would say. Yeah, that's great. I, I wanted to spotlight vitamin D because there was a study that you mentioned in your paper on, on actually obese and overweight African-Americans and trying to get the D level mm-hmm. above 50 and how that actually mm-hmm. reversed the, the bioage by, by a really good number just with about 4,000 IUs of D3. I so I, I thought that was a pretty incredible um, isn't it paper? Um, because I think in your study, most of the, most of the, the guys were, were, were healthy, right? They didn't really have a lot of health yes. issues. Okay. So, so even for, you know, kind of a standard American population, you know, SAP, you know, that's eating an SAD diet, you know, how can we, I mean, it sounds like, sounds like there's, um, Sad saps. There, Sad saps. yeah, I mean, there, it sounds like there's a, there's more, there's more wiggle room to, to improve on, yes. you know, based on that. Yes. And by the way, that study, there was a second study that came out demonstrating um, similar in D deficient individuals, a bioage acceleration and then uh, uh, addressing the D deficiency actually uh, slowed bioage. So there was another subsequent study that came out of the Netherlands with um, a much, much, much larger population Mm -hmm. uh, with 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 a similar outcome. So it's really exciting that a simple, simple fix. Simple could have, you know, a bio, bio age slowdown. When we have a chronic disease, so diabetes, I always think of um, classically, just because I, there's, there's a paper off the top of my head. When we have a chronic disease, we're aging faster. I mean, that's just the definition. If you want a surrogate marker of the fact whether you're aging faster or not, if you got a chronic disease, then, then there is some accelerated bioage happening. In diabetics, there is about a six to nine year mm. um, uh, bioage acceleration. However, and so this is just tying it back to vitamin D, we can turn that around by, you know, correcting um, the chronic disease. I mean, we can, you know, we can slow it down. So yes, our study specifically focused on healthy men. It actually took us quite a while to do it because we were so selective in our recruitment. Um, but if we had studied diabetics or if we had studied, you know, autoimmunity or inflammatory bowel, you know, whatever we had looked at, 
we might we might have seen bigger changes um you know, because there's an accelerated age. I'm pathway. really excited to see the research in the future on some of these chronic diseases, reversing that using using a you know kind of functional medicine approach, and then really seeing those changes in bioage. I think that would be really amazing to to see those yes. data uh, yes. d- down the line. Um, one other thing how how seriously should we take avoiding toxins? You know, this is sort of the age of you know climate change, plastics up the wazoo. I don't know, ninety thousand chemicals or something. Um, glyphosate, obviously. What, what are what are things that we should either avoid or, or do? You know, from a from a root cause perspective, that would um, that would improve our methylation from a I guess environmental health perspective. You know, earlier I was actually going to make two comments on our study, and this was the second comment that I wanted to make, but I I, I forgot about it. Um, we didn't require our participants to eat organic. If we had if we had made that a part of our study, we would have had to provide study food, and it would, the the cost would have been so 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 high. Yeah. Um, so they didn't, and I'm g- so glad that we made that choice because we were able to show that you know eating regular grocery store food, um, one could still reverse bioage. So there is, and I talk about this in the book. You know, even if you're sourcing food that has been conventionally raised, there are still some nutrients within that food that actually counteract Mm. the toxins. Mm -hmm. I'm not advocating one eat um, a conventionally raised diet. I'm not advocating that. But if that's what you have access to, know that there's still benefit there. And I think that's incredibly important. That's a great point. With that said... It is because we want this to be broadly adaptable. We want this available to everybody. We don't want people, you know, being required to go to uh, shopping stores that just price, you know, that where they're priced out of access to certain quality foods. So it is, it is, it is important. And of course, we can if we've got a little bit of dirt, you know, in our yard, we can plant things or do porch pots, etc. But we want this to be broadly accessible. It's incredibly important. Um, that said. Yes, toxins absolutely negatively influence gene expression. There's just no doubt about it. At, 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 in a variety of different mechanisms, um, toxins are not biological age or longevity or chronic, you know, the, the friend to, right. um, not to our these friends things. So we have, to, yeah, we have to do the best that we can in general. You know, this is in this and, and bioage and epigenetic expression is no. So, is, so is no Kara, you're in you're near New York City and, and Connecticut. I'm I'm wondering about sort of the final common pathway of, of regenerative agriculture and farming, you know, as a way to make these type type of organic foods more accessible to help people's methylation. Um, is anything happening right now, either in the city or kind of where you live, um, in terms of I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there is, but you know, regenerative farming and things like that. More and more there is. Yeah, more and more. I mean, certainly we're, you know, in the era of many farmers markets, you know, in our neck of the woods. So there's, it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice and Mm -hmm. and community supported agriculture. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, so it's, so, so it's, it's happening and it's popular and some of them are competitive and difficult to get into. So we're certainly seeing some uh, favorable movement in that direction. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, I think just to wrap things up um, for the listeners, I mean, it sounds like this this book is, you know, I can tell you just from, you know, reading this and doing this program myself, this is a real game changer, this book. So again, um, Younger You by Dr. Kara Fitzgerald here. Dr. Fitzgerald, Kara, thank you so much for joining us today. We have a few other just kind of closing questions, but before we get to the kind of the fun questions, which is always uh, one of my favorite parts of this uh, uh, podcast is what is the one or two things you wish everyone knew about reversing their aging? That we can do it, you know, and we can do it in a very simple way. We can start today that we have so, so, so much more choice and power over it. Than, uh, than we've been taught or than we've been thought. We're in the driver's seat, it sounds like. That's we're in the driver's seat, yeah. Pretty cool. And we're in the driver's seat together. I say, let's get younger together. I mean, it's just so funny to be on this. Just It's just fabulous. Let's do it together. Yes, that sounds great. I'm, I'm, I'm here for the ride as well. Um, and uh, do you have a morning routine? Uh, because we, we do have a question about, a fun question about uh, if you don't mind sharing uh, your morning routine, because we know that's really, really important for health and kind of setting up uh, methylation for the rest of the day. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. So I, <laughs> yes, I do have a morning routine. My, I start with meditation. I actually do my meditation before I'm even out of my bed. Um, you know, cortisol awakening response. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can predict a heart attack when people have huge spikes. And I've been known, I'm sure I've, I have massive spikes when I wake up with work brain. Mm -hmm, it's horrible, mm -hmm. right? It's yeah. tense. Ugh. Sure, sure. And so, and, and, and I'm vulnerable to that unless I really set a different trajectory. And so one of the things that I've been doing over the last, I don't know, maybe almost a year now is starting just in bed with a meditation that brings me down. And it is just so fabulous and it just it changes what i'm doing and then i have some water i start my day with a little bit of water i have a four-year-old at home so you know it's not long after that that <laughs> she's 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 hanging out with me so there's a lot of play and laughter it's a fun time nice. you know a, a, a nice really well-rested it is super fun and a well-rested kiddo is a happy loving kiddo so juicy oxytocin for me in the morning and I do. I also do my exercise in the morning awesome. as well. A lot of a lot of a lot yeah. of great things in the morning there for your routine. Uh, it, Kara, yeah. thank you so much again for joining us today. Um, and how can listeners learn more about you and work with you and get your book and, yes. and programs and stuff? Um, Dr. Wong, thank you so much for having me. It's just fabulous to connect with you, and I just I really appreciate your work. Um, so they can find Younger You at youngeryouprogram.com. You can find all things book. If you order the book, hang on to the receipt. There's a bunch of freebies that you can get if you just upload your receipt onto that site. There's just lots of stuff. We have groups people can join. Again, community. Um, we have the do-it-yourself version in the app. There's all sorts of information over at Younger You Program. Uh, and then drcarafitzgerald.com, drcarafitzgerald.com is the website that will connect you with the clinic and the podcast and blogs, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. With the K, K, K-A-R-A. K. And folks yes. listening, read the appendix. This is a really important part of the book. You know how like a lot of times in books, it's like the middle is the, I would say the entire book is amazing, but the appendix is like blows, blows me away. So thank you so much. <laughs> it's a good appendix. It is, it is. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Kara, for coming on today and uh, we'll chat soon. Awesome. Okay, take care. Thanks. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps our podcast to reach more listeners. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episodes and conversations. And thank you so much again for being with us.